This is Elijah Green, and he's going to read some scripture for us as Owen prepares to preach this morning. Okay, um, this is First uh, Corinthians twelve one through thirteen. Um, now, concerning spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but in the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but in the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but in the same God, who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for to one is given through the Spirit an utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, through many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. Thanks, Elijah. Good job, man. All right. Preschool through pre-K, I should say, through first grade. If you all are ready to go to Elevate, you can head that way toward Miss Courtney. If you have a pre-K through first grader and this is your first time here, there's a children's church time available for them during the sermon. Um, they are not required at all to, to go to that, but if that's of help for you and you would want to take them, if this is their first time, if you would go over there. That helps them make the transition, plus it really helps out our, uh, our, our volunteers over there. So, uh, all right, Elijah pointed us, point us in the right direction there with 1 Corinthians 12. If you would, open your Bible if it's not already open to 1 Corinthians 12. And we are going to continue our journey through that section of Scripture as we talk about what it means to be one another. Students, uh, just a little bit of time that my family was able to spend with you all this weekend. We want you to know how much we value you all. I love being a part of a church where you all are not the future of the church. You're core to who we are. You're core to what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. And so you all serve alongside us. You worship alongside of us. You're engaged during the time of Bible study. And so from my family to you, I want you guys to know you're welcome here. Your friends are welcome here. We appreciate you, we value you, we learn from you, you learn from us, and so we had a blast spending, spending time with you. As we think about this concept of one another, what we're going to do this morning is focus in on verses 12 and 13. So I want to reread just really quickly for you, verses 12 and 13, and we're going to tie together the idea of baptism and church membership and what those two ideas mean for the concept of one another that we're, that we're looking at. And so we're thinking about baptism and church membership this morning, and we're tying that together with one another, and we're looking back at 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. 
For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. All right. We're going to start with verse 13 and work in reverse. The way the language works in these two verses, verse 13 is actually the primary concept, and verse 12 is built on top of it, so we're going to take 13 first and then 12. If you got one of the bulletins as you came in, if you received one of those as you walked in and you like to look at some sermon notes as you go along, if you turn that bulletin over, there's a little bit of a structure there for how we're going to walk through these scriptures this morning. If you look in verse 13, there's a phrase there, or a set of words that is very powerful, but also uh, very controversial, I guess would be the right word, in the, in the understanding of Christianity and how we operate as a church. Verse 13 there, it says, for in one spirit. Some translations might say, for by one spirit. Uh, I think, I mean, that's perfectly fine. I think in will make more sense as we begin to look at this, but, but sometimes it'll say by one spirit. For in one spirit, we were all baptized. Now that language there of baptized in the Holy Spirit or, or baptism of the Holy Spirit, let's think of it this way. Imagine that as a child, maybe early, mid, late elementary, something like that, you trust in Jesus, you grow up in church, you got parents, grandparents investing in your life, you trust in Jesus, you're baptized as a child. Somewhere junior high, early high school, you start to drive, and you really begin to draw away from the Lord. You begin to go your own way, do your own thing, don't want anything to do with church, don't want anything to do with mom and dad's religion, you're, you're going your own direction. Sometime, maybe late high school, college, early adulthood, God gets a hold of your life in a really powerful way. You have an experience with the Lord that is overwhelming. You feel this energy at work in your body. Your mind is cleared up. The things of the Lord begin to make sense. Your heart is engaged with what he wants you to do in life. What happened at that point? Now, there's, there's several ways to look at that. Maybe that experience as a child, you were just doing that because someone pressured you into it, or you were doing it because you were trying to keep up with a friend, and it wasn't an authentic experience, and so later in life, it's when you really gave yourself to the Lord. Uh, in, in Baptist world, we sometimes call that, what we did was we rededicated ourselves to the Lord, that we had gone away from the Lord, and we've rededicated. In some faith traditions, though, what happened to you as a college student or an early adult where you had this powerful experience, that is called baptism of the Spirit. When people are talking about what it means to be baptized in the Spirit, it really comes down to about three options. Now this is oversimplified, um, and if this really hits home with you because of a particular background, church background, and you want to talk about this more, I'd love to point you to some things that would be helpful. But it really boils down to three options, and I've kind of listed these on on your notes. When we're talking about baptism in the Spirit, one option, and this is probably would be framed as the traditional Assembly of God or Pentecostal option. If you grew up in that church tradition, this is going to be that, that type of approach. Baptism of the Spirit is something that happens after you become a Christian. So there's that time of conversion, 
And then sometime later in life, maybe a very short period or maybe a very long period, you have a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, especially depending on your background, but oftentimes that will be tied in with speaking in tongues. You receive the Spirit and you're able to speak in tongues. And so it's a second baptism, sometimes called a second blessing of the Spirit, where you're gifted and empowered for ministry. You're given these spiritual gifts. So, so that's one option for understanding baptizing the Spirit. A second option is if you grew up in maybe a Methodist background, some Nazarene background, but it going, Methodist going back to a tradition of John Wesley, if you grew up in that background, baptism in the Spirit happens after conversion again. So you, you, you become a Christian, and then sometime later in life you have this experience. Except in this tradition, what happens with that baptism in the Spirit is you're empowered with this new holiness. Sometimes it's even called perfectionism, that, that you are set free in some sense. It depends on how much that happens, but you're set free from sin and you're made holy. Sometimes this will be called a, a confirmation or a sealing of your salvation. You're, you're drawn to this perfection. So baptism, of the, or you're, you're become a Christian, and then there's a later baptism of the Spirit. There's a third option, and this is the one that I'm going to lay in front of you today that I think most matches what you see in Scripture. The third option is that when Scripture talks about being baptized in the Spirit, it's what happens at the time of conversion. That when you become a Christian, when to use church words just for a minute, when you're saved, the power of God's Holy Spirit comes on you in such a way that it says that you are baptized in the spirit. You say, okay, Owen, there's all these different people out there that have different ideas about this. Why, why do you think this is the case? Let me walk you through. There are seven places, seven places in the New Testament where it talks about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. I want to walk you through those really quickly. They're going to be up on the screen so you can see them, but I want you to see these, these different places. The first is three locations in the gospel and it's the, the way the Gospels work, those first books of your New Testament, oftentimes Matthew, Mark, and Luke will repeat the same story and use almost identical language. You'll find that a lot in your New Testament as you're reading along. That happens here in this situation. It's talking about John the Baptist is speaking here. I, John the Baptist, baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now Mark doesn't mention and fire. Mark leaves out that phrase, but, but Matthew and Luke will talk about being baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. We understand that that baptism right there is something that John the Baptist is looking forward to, that Jesus is going to do the baptizing and it has not yet come, so he's looking toward it. John chapter 1, you get another almost same telling of that story. John chapter 1, verse 33. John the Baptist says, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend. This is that idea of Jesus' baptism, and the Spirit descends on Jesus. And oftentimes in that story, they'll say he, is, he descended on Jesus like a dove. He will descend and remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Who baptizes with the Holy Spirit? It's obviously Jesus who's going to do this. Jesus is going to come, and he's going to bring the power of God's Spirit to God's people in a very particular way. 
Fast forward to the book of Acts. In the book of Acts chapter 1, Jesus is about to go back to heaven. He's ascending back to the Father, and he's preparing the disciples for this. He says, While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John, this is John the Baptist that we just read about, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit when? Not many days from now. This is looking ahead to that story in Acts 2 that sometimes we will call Pentecost. Last week I tripped up and called it Passover, but it's called Pentecost when the Spirit will come in power. One other place in the book of Acts that you see this concept, and I'll switch screens just so I do a better job going one side to the other. But Acts chapter 11, this is in reference to Peter, and Peter went to a man named Cornelius. And so he's beginning to go to some new people and tell about Jesus. It says, as I, Peter, began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning, looking back to Acts chapter 2 in this situation. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Those are six references. Number seven comes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Let me show you the summary. So if you lay these out one after the other, he will baptize. He will baptize. He will baptize. This is he who baptizes. You will be baptized. You will be baptized. And then you get to 1 Corinthians 12, and it says, you were all baptized. What's Paul speaking of in 1 Corinthians? He's speaking of the work of the Holy Spirit coming on those who proclaim Jesus as Lord and turn to him, repent, trust in him for salvation. Paul is looking back in 1 Corinthians 12 and saying, that's what happened to you. You were baptized in the Holy Spirit at the time of your repentance, at the time of your turning to Christ for salvation. Here's the reason we belabor that point. We live in a world, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, we live in a world where there's a lot of confusion about spiritual things. And there's especially a lot of confusion about whether or not I'm a spiritual person. What counts as being a spiritual person is all kinds of strange ideas. But over and over and over in the New Testament, it makes clear that when you repent of your sins and you turn to Jesus, you are empowered, you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so I want, I want you to know this morning is that every one of us, no one is waiting for, I'll make sure I say this correctly, no one is waiting for a blessing or a power of the Holy Spirit as if other believers don't have that same thing. We stand shoulder to shoulder as Christians, each of us empowered by the Holy Spirit each of us having been baptized by the Holy Spirit so that we stand before God with that power. Now, here's where we have to learn from our Pentecostal friends and Assembly of God and Charismatic friends because sometimes we'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's really great. I don't often see myself as a spiritual person, but that's really good news to know that the Holy Spirit is at work in my life. And then we don't do anything with it. <laughs> and, and, and to say that even more particularly, we don't do anything with him. We just say, well, that's really good news, and then we go on with our life as if you begin with the Spirit and then you continue based on your own strength. And the story of Scripture is 
you were baptized with the Holy Spirit at the time of your salvation, and that same Holy Spirit continues to work in your life, continues to empower you. I love the way that a commentator named D.A. Carson says this. He says, I don't believe in a second baptism or second blessing of the Holy Spirit. I believe in a second blessing and a third blessing and a fourth blessing and a fifth blessing. The Spirit who is at work in your life at the time that you were saved is the same Holy Spirit that continues to empower you and shape you and direct you and convict you of sin and enlighten you to the truth of God's word and move you forward. This baptism in the Spirit, it was anticipated in the Old Testament. You can read in Isaiah and Jeremiah Ezekiel, all these predictions, these prophecies that when Jesus came, well, not saying Jesus' name in particular, when the Messiah came and God's plan for his people was fulfilled, one of the things that would happen is that the Spirit would be given to all people. Up there, that first bullet point, if your eyes are good and you can see, Joel chapter 2, that's a very particular reference there because it's the same reference that is used in your Bible in Acts chapter 2 when Peter is preaching to the people. And the amazing thing is that the Spirit will come on all the people. It's not like there's a higher class of Christians that get the Holy Spirit and the rest of us are trying to figure it out on our own. The Spirit comes on all of God's people. It was promised by Jesus, the removal of sin and the giving of the Spirit. It's revealed in the book of Acts and is experienced by every Christian. What does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? I want you to see these next couple of verses that are up here. What does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? Acts chapter 1, in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit saves you, and then the Holy Spirit empowers you to be a witness. Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. That, that's a waste. You're wasting your life but be filled. And, and the reference to being filled in Ephesians 5 is be filled continually. Sometimes you might hear someone say, man, that person is really filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit in the New Testament is not a one-time concept. Baptized in the Spirit is a one-time reality that happens at salvation. Filled with the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit in the New Testament is an ongoing reality. That's something that God continues to do in our life. So 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not quench the Spirit. The danger is that we would live in such a way that says, don't worry God, I've got this under control. This is what Braden was alluding to in his testimony that somehow along the way we would say, you know, that's great that God saved me. I remember that experience when I was a kid or a teenager. That, that was really good. Pretty much, though, I've got to take over at this point. Well, obviously, at that point, you're quenching the Spirit. You're cutting off the work that God wants to do in your life, and so be continually filled with the Spirit. You go on to that next slide, Galatians chapter 5. We'll come back to this in a couple of weeks, but Galatians chapter 5, talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Paul says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then he begins to list out what the fruit of the Spirit is, that fruit of the Spirit that continues to work in our lives. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Okay, let me slow down just for a minute here. We are talking about what it means to be one another, that we are brought together in the name of Jesus. 
That includes the students to the oldest adult. The way that happens is when we are baptized in the Spirit at that time of conversion, God's Spirit comes and works new life within us, begins this process of working new life within us. The danger is that we would somehow leave that in the past and not realize all that God's Spirit wants to do in and through us right now. The one thing, I say the one thing, that's a bad pastoral exaggeration, um, but one of the things that I really hope that you'll get from the study of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 that you'll come away from this with is, you know what? God's Spirit really is work at work in my life, and he really does want to work through me. Students, the moment you realize that the Spirit of God is at work in your life, and not only in your life, but he wants to work through your life, Oh man, the sky's the limit about what you will think that God wants to do to make an impact for his kingdom through you individually and through you together. So what we want to establish up front is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens for every believer. You are not missing something in your life that is holding you back from doing what God has called you to do. You have the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life if you have repented of sins and trusted in Christ for salvation. Now, that is established for every believer. So you say, oh, and okay, baptism of the Holy Spirit. What does that have to do with water baptism? So here's baptism of the Holy Spirit. Why do we practice water baptism? Let me point you to a verse in the book of Matthew. It's Matthew 28. And we, we use this verse a lot because we find it very foundational. It's one of the last things that Jesus said to his people. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. How do you make a follower of Jesus? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. One of the commands of Jesus that's given to his people is that those who are followers of him will be baptized. What happens is the water baptism becomes a picture of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that happens in your life at the time of salvation. So we're always very clear to say when you're baptized in water, that doesn't automatically save you. What makes you a Christian is when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, when God's power comes to make you new from the inside out. So why do I have to be baptized? Because the message of the New Testament from beginning to end is that what God does in us is never meant to just stay inside of us. It's meant to be displayed to others. It's meant to be made public. It's meant to affect the way that we live. And so if I just say, you know what, I've been baptized by the power of the Holy Spirit. I've confessed Jesus as Lord. I, I don't think I really want to be baptized. The danger there is that can begin to sound, and not, not in every case, but it can begin to sound like, I'm glad that God did this in my life. I really don't want anybody to see it, or I really don't want anybody to know it. What water baptism does is we say, this is my public profession of faith. Now, I grew up, as many of you know, in a small Southern Baptist church, wood paneling on the walls, southwest Oklahoma. Your public profession of faith was when you walked down forward to the front of the, the worship area at the end of the service. I'm not opposed to that. I think there's absolutely a place in that. In the New Testament, though, 
Your public profession of faith is when you are baptized to show that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. When you're saying, I want people to know what God has done in and through my life. And the reason we do that by going down into the water and then coming back up is that's a picture of what God has done for us. That when you go down the water, it's a picture of healing. It's a picture of how Jesus has died for you. You come back up out of the water, it's a picture of resurrection, of this new life that we have in Christ. And so what I want you to see is 1 Corinthians 12, 13, baptized in the Spirit at the time of salvation. Water baptism is I want people to see that, not because I'm prideful, but because I want them to know this is a step in me letting people know this is what God has done in my life. Sometimes a long period will pass between the time that you're saved and the time that you're baptized, and you'll begin to think, ah, really doesn't matter. I'd be embarrassed to let someone know I haven't been baptized. Your decision to walk by faith and to say, no, I really do want people to know this, not because I'm being prideful, I just want them to know what God's done in my life, that will do as much for the people that see you baptized as it will for you in taking part in that baptism. Because they're gonna think, oh man, I'm not the only one who's been struggling with that. I'm not the only one that's been trying to think, how do I live out this faith that I'm trying to seek after the Lord? Spirit baptism water baptism, bring us together back to verse 12. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. What happens when you're baptized in the Spirit? 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. What you see here is this idea that when you're baptized in the Spirit, you become a part of the body of Christ. This includes all believers in all places at all times, that we are brought together, that when you're baptized in the Spirit, you're brought together with all other people who that same thing has happened to them. Sometimes in in the Bible, it's not called body of Christ. Sometimes it's called family of God. Sometimes it's called being a part of the temple of the Holy Spirit. Let me fast forward you to the next slide where it talks about John 1, 12. To all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In church, we don't just say, hey, brother, when we forget somebody's name. Like, there, there really is. That was a really good joke, and I got nothing out. I know you guys hosted students all weekend, so you're exhausted. If you make it through a theologically, doctrinally, devoted sermon after United Weekend. You've done something, but uh, we don't just say brother or sister when we forget somebody's name. It really is the fact that God has brought our lives together in the family of God. Ephesians 2, you're members of the household of God in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. How's it happen? In him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God brings his people into the family of God. We become a part of the body of Christ to do the work that he's called us to do, and he builds us up together so that we are a temple. We are made holy, a holy place, a holy people for God's purposes. Every believer, every place, all time. Now, that's the body of Christ. That's what sometimes we call universal church membership. When you are baptized in the Spirit, when you become a Christian, you automatically become a member of the body of Christ. Why do we have local church membership then? 
What, what's the purpose behind that? No surprise, we're gonna go back to Matthew chapter 28. Let me show you Matthew 28 again. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, reflecting that spirit baptism, but, but baptizing the water to make it, make it visible, make it public, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Did you know that in the New Testament, you're never going to find a commandment to be a member of a local church. But you're gonna find a lot of commandments that you can't live out fully without being a member of a local church. In the early days of the church, people connected together just out of pure survival. That's how they were going to grow. We live in a world where it's easy to say, you know what, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm really not into supporting religious institutions. I'm, I'm not going to be a member of the church. I'm not opposed to Jesus. People in my generation have a really bad habit of saying, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. That just doesn't work in, in the New Testament at all. There are a lot of things in the New Testament that you cannot fully live out without being a part of a local church. When God brings your life together with other believers in the body of Christ, when you connect to a local church, that does not automatically cut you off from other believers. Sometimes people say, I don't want to join a church because I really like my friends that are connected to other churches and I don't want to cut myself off from them. If you join a religious organization and they cut you off from other people, that's called a cult, not a church. When you become a part of a local church, that doesn't cut you off from other believers. That's not saying, I'm here to promote Emmaus. It's saying, this is God's plan for his work in your life. How are you going to grow? How are you going to worship? Let me show you three commandments in the New Testament you cannot live out without being a part of a local church. Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now I'm going to be the last one to guilt you in to being a part of our Sunday morning worship gathering, because I know there are a hundred factors that, that play into that. But when God brings our lives together, and he says part of this process is just regularly meeting together for worship, how do you do that? You do that when you're part of a local church. You do that when you say, these are the people that God has called me to worship with, not just for my own good, but for the good of those around me. I need to be a part of a church. Next screen, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders. Don't get tied up too much on that part, but it's still a good part of scripture. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The New Testament talks a good deal about spiritual leadership, not as if there's two classes of Christian, those who are the leaders and those who are just kind of following along, but there are people who have the role of leadership in the local church. If that verse is true, and I believe that it is because I believe that the Bible is true, and I have to give an account for those over whom I'm watching their souls, you better believe I want to know who's a member of the church. Who has God brought here so that we are working to equip and empower and serve them and keep watch over them? Church membership is one of those ways that you say, 
I want that in my life. I want someone who is in a position to be able to keep watch over my soul. If someone says, you know what, I really don't want to be a member of a church, oftentimes that reflects one of two things. Either I don't want any accountability in my life, or I'm scared off by the idea of committing to a particular place because of hurt in the past. And let me tell you, that is very real. And we're not making light of that at all, that you may be coming from a lot of church hurt and you're really struggling about the idea of connecting with the church. That pain is real, and that's a hard process to work through. But don't let that hold you back from the accountability and the gift of leadership and what God wants to do in your life through being a part of a local church. One more screen. 1 Corinthians 12, again. We'll talk about this more in detail tomorrow, or not tomorrow. You're welcome to come back tomorrow, but uh, next Sunday. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. That idea of being able to care for one another, being able to rejoice with one another, being able to grieve with one another, that happens both in the church at large, but it happens most intimately and most effectively with those who God has brought your life together with in the local church. And so you're able to serve one another, love one another, pray for one another, care for one another, all these things that we're working through as a church. Here are my questions for you as we wrap up. Have you experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, even that turn of phrase, even that way of putting it, I realize could kind of make you, make you step back. Another way to think about it would be, have I experienced the power of God in my life to change me from the inside out? Has that happened? Have you, are you just involved in religion? Are you just attending church? Are you just trying to do those things? Or have you really experienced the power of God in your life to change you from the inside out? If you have, have you been baptized to make that public, to, to show people this is what God's done in my life? And have you connected with a local church? Could be Emmaus. We have a membership process here. Next Sunday, we're offering you free lunch because we want to tell you more about that. Three Sundays from now, third Sunday in February, we have our next membership class that we offer on Sunday morning. We'd love for you to be a part of that, but it doesn't have to be Emmaus. We want to promote, we are thankful for the partnerships in the gospel we have with local churches. I have no problem telling someone, hey, I love those guys down the road. Go check that. I think that could be a really good place for you. The fun thing about that is the partnership that God has given us with local pastors. We're on each other's team. We want to see the body of Christ grow, and we know that happens when people connect themselves to, to a local church. Has that happened in your life? Now, many of you, many of you could check me out really quickly because been saved, been baptized, good church member, check, check, check. Church members are really bad about checking things off and saying, ha, that's me, I don't have to worry about it. So let me, let me turn the question on you just a little bit. Who this year would be baptized because of your involvement in their life? Who would God put in your life that you would be able to love, speak to, befriend, spend time with, so that this year, or maybe next year, you would be able to stand up there with them next to the baptistry as they are saying, I want everybody to know that I'm a follower of Jesus. 
The second part of that would be, who would God use you to lead them toward church membership? To say, hey, I want to encourage you to connect with a local church. We'd love for you to do that here, but if not, I've got good friends other places. We just want you to be in a place where you're able to grow, worship, serve. Who would God put in your path to be able to do that? The way that things have worked out this morning, and it's always good when the Holy Spirit plans these things rather, rather than us, is I'm standing on a stage with the United shirt on, and we are going to take part in a celebration of worship that is all about being united in the name of Jesus. We're going to end our service today by taking of the Lord's Supper. I want you to know that as we do this, this is something that believers do together, saying our hope is in the body and the blood of Jesus. The way we do this here at Emmaus is that if you've been baptized in the Spirit, so to speak, using our language from this morning, if you are a follower of Jesus, we want to invite you to take part in the Lord's Supper with us this morning. If you are not a follower of Jesus, students, parents with little kids, adults that are visiting with us, if you're not a follower of Jesus, there is no embarrassment, no shame in passing the plate to the next person. No one's going to judge you. They're going to love you. They're going to care for you, but they're not going to look badly at you. You're just saying, you know what? I'm not so sure that I have trusted in Jesus before, but I'd really like to talk to somebody about that. This is something that we do as a time of worship. After we do this, we're going to sing a final song, and then we'll be dismissed at that point. But I hope and pray that you'll think about what does it mean that we've experienced baptism, and what does it mean that God brings our lives together with one another in worship? I'm going to pray for us. After I pray for us, those of you that are helping to serve the Lord's Supper, if you would go to your positions at that point, we'll begin this time of worship together. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the celebration of this weekend of ministry that's happened in so many different ways. Thank you for these students and volunteers who uh, didn't sleep very much this weekend, but they still came here, gathered together to worship, to study your word, to look at some concepts in the scripture that are frankly uh, pretty difficult, pretty uh, challenging as we think about how those things work themselves out in our lives. But God, as we come to this part of the service, we know it's so important that we don't approach the Lord's Supper lightly. We don't come to this time just taking part in a ritual. We come remembering it's only because of the death of Christ on the cross that our sins have been washed away. And it's only because of the resurrection that we have hope for true life. So, Father, I pray that this time of worship, this time of reflection, would be a powerful time for our church. And we do this together as a picture of the unity that we have in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.